0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select Campus miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets.
2: So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
3: What's up, Open 4 Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Podpina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated staff writer Rohan Nadkarni. Quick apologies for posting our first episode this week, one day later than normal. I'm not here to cast blame on anyone, but that said, Rohan had some technical difficulties yesterday, and uh, we are excited to get back in the swing of things right now. Uh, Rohan, the sun is shining, birds are chirping, and Al Horford is finally getting the respect he deserves. These are truly beautiful times. How are you doing?
1: So first of all, let me give a more formal apology to both Mike, our producer, JC, the Open Floor Globe. I was dealing, I just had an incredibly (laughs) stressful day yesterday, finally flying back to Los Angeles after being on the road for the first four games of the Phoenix Dallas series. You know, the traffic, you get back from LAX, you're immediately back in the traffic. You arrive home to find out your internet is out. Um, You can't do the podcast that you look forward to doing every week. Um, Yeah. So thank you for everyone to their patience. Um, I was excited about the Al Horford game because loyal listeners of the pod will know that I came out and gave a full on Al Horford monologue, I think, during that Brooklyn series about how great he's been. And... Uh, he's saving Jason Tatum, aka like I, everyone's trying to tell me he's the top three player in the world after beating up on like the Nets, you know, collection of six three players. I you know, all, I, I, all I hear about, wonder, I I hear about is how good you... how good Jason Tatum is. Then last night he's just terrible for about forty five minutes. Al Horford carries the team, and uh, you know Tatum gets to pad his numbers there a bit at the end. But yeah, I'm happy for Al Horford certainly.
3: I do wonder what reality you live in, what you ingest before we record these episodes. Uh, <laughs> but Tatum obviously was, uh, he struggled in the first half, I will give you that. And we're going to get into all of it in a second, but I just had to say that, you know, 30 15 or 30 12 and five or whatever he had is, is a pretty good. He was bad for game. about
1: three and a half quarters.
3: It's that's just not true. um, I believe he had
1: 18 points headed into the fourth, and I believe he had eight in the last five minutes.
3: Rohan, on today's show, we will be (laughs) dipping into all four second round series and opening up the mailbag once again. But first, a quick reminder to please keep those emails coming, openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com.
1: There's an email. I'm not sure if we're definitely going to get to it today, but I actually have a lot of beef with, so it'll be interesting to see if we get there. But keep the emails coming, because I like it. I like the... I like kind of the diversity of discussion going on in the emails. So keep them coming.
3: I Okay, so I don't like deviating too far from the the outline here, but now I'm just my brain is frazzled. <laughs> I'm super curious what email <laughs> you're talking we'll about. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Oh my god. Okay, I'm going to be in suspense for the next 45 <laughs> minutes. Um So Rohan, today I gave you a homework assignment. um, That I famously
1: do every time.
3: Yes, you do. You're very good. You're a stickler. You are (laughs) clearly a teacher's pet to this day. (laughs) Um, I asked you to ask one big question about every series that's still going on. It could Mm. be as general or specific as you'd like, be it about a coaching decision, a player, Mm -hmm. a matchup, whatever. Um, We... Briefly touched on Boston Milwaukee at the top. Why don't we just start with that series? Let's do it. Um, last night the Celtics beat the Bucks, tied the series up to a piece. Going back to Boston on Wednesday night. Uh, what is your, do, do you have, did you do the homework assignment? Yeah, of, on, course,
1: a, of course, of okay. course. Yeah. Okay, well, you leave me in the lurch here, like, <laughs> Come I mean, on, my dude. goodness. No, no, of course, man. Okay,
3: do you want to, do you want to kick things off? Because I have a question, of course, as well, yes. but why don't you kick things off and we can get the conversation started? I do, after.
1: and I don't think my question's going to be a surprise to you, because we had a robust discussion in our group chat yesterday, oh, geez, uh, I'm after, after game four, <laughs> But, I mean, that was such a – first of all, what a good game that was, man. That was so much fun. Um, just high-level playoff basketball. Uh, two really good defenses. In all seriousness about Tatum, and I said this during the game on Twitter, Like that was one of those games where like, I don't think either team in this series is going to pay particularly efficient offense. I think asking for high efficiency from the stars is unrealistic. It's just can you find ways to assert yourself – um, can you find those little holes, pockets in the defense, etc.? I mean, I think both teams are trying to do that when they can. My question honestly is what were the Bucks thinking on offense? Because you and I had this discussion after the game. Like, I, I just got the sense that Milwaukee was in control of that game and should have won it. Um, and I understand the Celtics' defense is very good, and that Milwaukee's offense is compromised without Chris Middleton. At the same time, like some of their decision making still baffles me. I, I, like there's multiple instances in the first half where Giannis got Peyton Pritchard switch on him, passed out of it immediately for like semi-contested threes. Um didn't work those possessions at all. I thought Drew Holiday was like over pivoting in the paint. I I th- <laughs> found like multiple times that like it, like he got to his spot but then pivoted one extra time and got out of his spot into a worse shot. There's just little things like that that I see that Milwaukee does. And I understand this has never been you know, a finely tuned offensive half-court machine. I understand that they're going up against a defense that is very good. I mean, both teams are forcing the other into bad shots. But I just thought Milwaukee's decision-making on offense left a lot to be desired. And that game was there for the taking because of how much Boston's you know, offense was struggling outside of Horford. So what's your question? What is Milwaukee thinking on offense? I, slid, <laughs> okay. I led with it. What What are the Bucks thinking on offense? Is my
3: question. So, I mean, one of the reasons why I picked the Celtics in five and was so confident in it is because their offense isn't very good. And honestly, it's it's really interesting to me how. Um, Their offense hasn't really evolved or improved. And I know Middleton isn't out, so that's like a caveat here where that factored into it in a humongous degree because um, you need big wings to go against a team that forces more isolation offense than any in the league. So that obvious caveat aside, the Milwaukee Bucks offense, you know, hasn't been super great uh, for like three straight years. And... They won the title, and that always, when you win a title, obviously it shifts how you're perceived to a, a, a in a great mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. And
1: and Giannis and Giannis is like big nights can kind of mask how much they 100%, struggle offensively. Yeah,
3: one hundred percent. And Giannis had a stretch in the third quarter, I think it was, where he kind of figured out Al Horford a little bit. And I don't I don't know if Al Horford was tired, if Al Horford was really worried about picking up more cheap fouls Mm -hmm. because Rob Williams was not available and Grant Williams was in foul trouble. Mm -hmm. And they were and Daniel Tice is just like not an option in this series at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like their offense just isn't isn't very good and they can't. If they want to create space for Giannis, they usually have to go small, although Brooke Lopez played pretty well. Bobby Portis has basically been rendered. Uh, he's he's,
1: done. Just, he's kind of out of this series, yeah.
3: And so it's like those Peyton Pritchard possessions, so there's like a couple of those. Um, I'd have to go back and watch. I don't. Those ones specifically aren't on my mind. I would imagine if Giannis, that what Giannis is thinking on those plays is like, Al Horford, or who there's there's someone is in the paint, like standing in the paint when he has the ball, and the kick out to an open three point shooter is the smart play in his eyes and wanting to get off the ball as quick I, as possible. I get it.
1: I mean, he kicked it out to Portis on one play. He kicked it out to uh, Connaughton on the next play. I mean, Connaughton's been a great catch and shoot guy for them. I, I I hear you, Mike, and I I don't want to take credit away from what Boston did because. It's equally impressive to me that they won that game considering the foul trouble guys were in all night. I mean, Jalen was in foul trouble. Grant was in foul trouble. Um, you mentioned, I mean, Horford, I, I think, had to adjust the way he played because of it. Tatum picked up a couple early fouls, never really was able to get into a rhythm. So, I, I And I, I'm with you. Like, I think we were having this discussion last season until kind of that, that towards the end of that Brooklyn series, like, you know, there's a reason why during their title run, people were like saying, what is bud doing? You know, it took them forever to really start. I think utilizing like the Christianis pick and roll last season. Uh, I think most coaches would have probably started going to it earlier. I, I still just felt like their offensive decision-making that can be improved. Like their process, I think can still be improved a little bit. Um, if they're willing to work their offensive. And then you have drew holiday. I mean, I understand he was taking a lot of tough shots, but that is a, I think it was uh, James Herbert who tweeted, <laughs> a fun fact, it was kind of a joke, but everyone was getting on Dylan Brooks last night. I mean, Drew Holiday shot even worse than Dylan Brooks did last night. I mean, it was one of the just all-time baffling shooting performances.
3: Uh, Drew Holiday was 5 for 22. Uh, he was minus 23. He scored 16 points. I he think is it was ab-
1: Nakai Stunke who tweeted, Drew Holiday was a minus 23, and he played only 10 seconds more than Giannis, (laughs) who was in the positive? Like, that's crazy.
3: Um, That is, yeah, that is very, I don't even know how that's mathematically possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, they were staggered. But anyway, yeah, yeah, the, the Drew Holiday, look, I wrote before the series started, or I think maybe I wrote it after game one. I honestly can't remember. Uh, Drew Holiday was one of the better isolation scorers and playmakers in the league this season. And that was going to have to be... He was going to have to win one-on-one matchups, Mm -hmm. I felt, for Milwaukee to generate quality offense in the half court. I assumed that Boston wouldn't turn the ball over as much as they have unforced sloppy turnovers, which they continue to do and they did last night. And one of the reasons why... They were down in the third quarter, was those turnovers. But Drew Holiday is averaging 0.657 points per isolation possession in this series. That is um, that is very, very, very bad. <laughs> yeah. And early on in the series, he, you know, the Celtics did not want to switch Horford onto him, partly because they didn't want to switch Horford off of Giannis, partly because Drew has had a lot of success against Horford you know, on an island. Um, Drew had his way early on in this series against Tatum. Um, and that those shots and those looks, um, be it against Grant Williams, be it against uh, Derek White, who's someone who he tried to challenge a few times last night and just came up empty.
1: Drew Holiday... Uh, I mean, he had moments he like just, this. I mean you remember that Game 7 against... Brooklyn, he was really bad until the last. couple oh minutes of the fourth quarter, <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. He he has these stretches, so it's definitely it's within him. It wasn't he's, completely shocking. He, he, he's
3: an he's an amazing player. Um, he is stretched beyond, like with Chris Middleton out, he's yeah. stretched beyond yeah. what he is paid to do and what his role should be in this context on this mm-hmm. team. It's not that's not a criticism of him. That's just like. That's the facts. Yeah. So that's what happens when you're down in All Star. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the same thing all-star. with the,
1: Yeah, same yeah. thing with Harden, same thing with Aaron Gordon, for example. Yeah. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
0: Hi, checking in for. Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising
0: until you
2: start listening.
0: When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from the Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise.
3: So it's, what is Milwaukee? like? I don't know what Milwaukee can do offensively to improve their situation. Like three of their, or two of their five, coming into last night, two of their five worst Half court offense games were in this series in the entire season, which is just like that's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. It speaks to Boston's defense, which is smothering, which is so focused on Giannis and so precise in how they're switching their help defense. Uh, you know, they have adjusted really well to when to double, when not to double. Um, the fact that they played as well as they did last night. I know Rob Williams hasn't had the greatest series and is clearly physically compromised. But to do what they did last night, um, win small, and this leads me to my question, which is uh, can the Celtics have sustained success with the small ball lineup that carried them to victory in game four? Um, Last night we saw uh, Tatum, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and Jalen Brown appear in in a game for the first time since the first game of the postseason against Brooklyn. And that lineup was one of the most attractive ones on the day of the tra- trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I thought that this would be a key five-man unit for them in the playoffs. They went to it last night. It basically saved their season. Um, they generated 1.67 points per position on offense. They, I mean, they held were, the Bucs to the, 78.9, a 78.9 defensive rating. Go ahead, Rod.
1: It was remarkable to watch. I mean, down the stretch of the game, it was we're putting Horford in the corner, and Tatum's running a pick and roll. And we're going to make either Giannis or Brooke or whoever was in the game at that time decide if they're going to help off Tatum um, because Wes Matthews is pressed all the way up on him and give Horford the corner shot. And they killed him with it. And it was it was like Mavs esque. It was, um you know, what are you going to do when we kind of spread you out? And it was you're right. It saved that. seat it was in- incredible to watch.
3: Right, they put Horford in the strong side corner. they forced switches where Tatum they would have Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown set a screen, whoever basically George Hill was guarding, and honestly, like George Hill's playing a lot for me if I was a I Bucks was surprised fan. and
1: I, I i it's not that I think he's like I thought Javon Carter gave him some good minutes in the first couple games, too i I'm not saying it's like how are you go, how could you go away from him, but I'm surprised at the dis- distribution of minutes.
3: We will probably see maybe I, I probably I don't know we should see maybe some more Javon Carter. I don't think he's like the be all end all because he's not this dynamic offensive player, right? But, but he could
1: hit a couple three. It's a yeah, it's a I'm not saying it's a slam dunk decision between him and uh George Hill, but it's weird that it went well, all the way I, in one direction. Can I just say,
3: can I just say like. It makes me think of, and I, I haven't heard too much of this yet, so pardon me if someone has said it already, but it makes me think of, like, Serge Ibaka, I believe, was not not um, active for Game 4. Mm-hmm. And I know why they traded DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka, because they were worried about Brook Lopez's health. Yeah. But, like, you could really use a guy like Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, that's a series. good point.
1: I mean, and, I, I, that's a tough one, because you do. I mean... We I think we all thought Brooke was done. Yeah, no, I mean,
3: I thought it was more than insurance when they made the trade. Yeah, I yeah, I, like I didn't think Brooke would
1: be ready for the playoffs, let alone when he came back and he's in the regular great. season. Can I just throw something out there? Because I was curious about this. Sure. And and this is not just half court, but what do you think the Bucks' offensive rating was with Giannis on the floor yesterday? If you had to guess.
3: If I had to guess... I would say
1: 109. 120.5. Wow. I mean, the, he went nuclear in the third and obviously had that huge run and he was getting out in transition. I just wanted to look it up. I, I For some reason, I was compelled. That's pretty crazy. That but is I, a lot higher than I thought. <laughs> Isn't <and> it wild? <laughs> it, I mean, I, I would like the, to the see... The Drew, the, Drew, the Drew plus minus thing kind of made me think of it. Because... Drew played forty minutes and fifty four seconds, and the offensive rating with him on the floor was one hundred.
3: Well it's it's really interesting because that <laughs> is wild. It's it's like it's like Giannis I'm sorry, had, I stepped
1: all over your question, but that stat was too crazy. No, I had to no, no, yeah. it is it
3: is it's a good job by you. Thirty four points, thirty two shots, and honestly, six for eleven from the free throw line, like mm-hmm. Those five points could have made the fourth quarter a lot different. Yeah, And so maybe I am speaking a little too much. Um, I'm not giving Milwaukee enough credit. And their offense was better in game four than it was in the first three games for sure. Especially in the half court, it was better. So I do want to say that, but like... I don't know if Boston figured something out with this small lineup. I'm really it's interested in how much man. it's Eime an Udoka interesting goes to look. It. Because and Grant
1: has been so good that it's like Grant was bad yesterday. He he was not having his... I mean he the foul trouble it, What's so tough about the playoffs is the margins are basically gone like and uh oh, like you get you get a couple fouls, you get out of a rhythm or whatever and like a player can so quickly lose a whole game like that. You know what I mean? Like, Grant was not good yesterday, but he's, like, early in the series, he was he was doing what Horford did yesterday. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, he was the stopper. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just it's just such an interesting lineup. That's a good question. Uh, what do you but, think? What are your thoughts?
3: Well, it's like it's uh, – I would uh, – the Milwaukee's coaching staff is going to look at all those possessions Um the fact that the Celtics put Marcus Smart on Giannis in the second half and that was interesting had a decent amount of success, particularly in the fourth with Smart. Um, like the Celtics don't want Jalen Brown yeah. on Giannis, at and all. I think
1: I think you could almost see Giannis when he's driving on Smart. I think he this knows has been like a, a
3: three-year-long thing where it's like he is. So, they, he's talked publicly about it. He is like he hates. Going up against Smart because yeah, he yeah. hates those offensive fouls. Exactly. I was going to say you
1: can see him think, you can see him hesitate. I'm going to get an offensive foul if I drive on this guy, and that is like it, that's that is so valuable. That is something you would never measure about Smart, but that was what makes him so valuable. Is you can see a player like Giannis hesitate going to the rim against him in a way he does not against Horford, and. Uh, Brown, it's funny because watching that Giannis Horford thing, something Jay Crowder has said multiple times kind of like during his post-practice interviews in Phoenix and asked about in game four, he's like, he's like, I love the playoffs because at some point like scheme becomes less important and it's just mano a mano. Like, can you guard the guy in front of you? And like, he said that a couple of times and like, you're seeing it in this series now and it's so fun to watch. It's true.
3: It's true. But when we talk about like, oh, this guy, I think about this often when it's like this guy is and maybe this is a good opportunity for us to transition actually to Mm -hmm. another series and that series is going to be Miami and Philadelphia. Um, Just because a guy is, quote unquote, a weak link or definitely clearly a weak link you still have to score on them, and they yeah. are going to play defense yeah. they are going to yeah. compete, and they're going to try, yeah, and so I think about that with Jordan Poole and the adjustments that he made from game two to game three, and how he kind of he knew he was going to get attacked, he did get attacked, and he played better defense um and so let me just throw out my question to you, moving on to heat sixers. My question is, will Duncan Robinson play mm. This like,
1: this folds into my question, because my my question was basically, like, will the heat shooters step up? But I think the crux of this is we both want to talk about the three pointers. So please, you go first, because I have thoughts on this as well.
3: Right. So Kyle Lowry is not playing. Um, Kyle Lowry is one of Miami's better three point shooters, yeah. a necessary three point shooter.
1: They're also their best like oh, he was their best drop coverage beater. And that that was when I knew early in that game he wasn't right because his shot was off and there, especially post All Star break he was really rounding into form and he's their he's their drop coverage beater with that pull up three.
3: Sure, exactly. So the reason Duncan Robinson is not playing and is out of the rotation, to state the obvious, is because um, James Harden will hunt him on every single mm-hmm. possession. And I actually, because I'm a sad person. I went back and I watched every possession over the past two seasons where uh, Duncan Robinson guarded James Harden just to like, I know Eric Spolstra must've watched this film to have made such a dramatic decision to remove Duncan from the rotation. And it was like 16 or 17 possessions and almost all of them resulted in a wide open three after Harden beat Duncan off the dribble. Um, now Harden is coming off his best game in weeks, and he was an absolute beast in isolation in Game Four. Whether Hero was on him, I mean, whether Jimmy was on him, PJ, there are so Bam, many,
1: there are so many ways uh, you could look back at the games. You like the Heat lost because of this. Like Spo is like, I think the Sixers shot six of eight from three in the last five seconds of the shot clock. Yeah, like, wild stat, but. When James Harden is beating Bam twice, like, that's a matchup the Miami Heat want. Even Doc Rivers was like, we got too many switches on Bam. He beat Bam for a step-back three and a drive to the rim. And when that happens, that's your best. And sometimes you lose it. And that's the thing. is like, you can look at all the stats you want. Sometimes you lose the matchup. And that's what happens in the playoffs.
3: Right. So I wonder, like, Coming off that game, is now the best time to put Robinson into Mm -hmm. that blender? Probably not. But I think that Eric Spolstra might be overthinking this right now. Like, the Heat are shooting 30% on wide open threes in the postseason. They're at 28.5% in this series. Like, throw—Duncan Robinson is one of the greatest three-point shooters, Mm -hmm. like, In league history.
1: Yeah, ever, truly, yeah. Like,
3: just see how it goes. And honestly, that strategy in the first two games was on removing Duncan from the rotation was predicated largely on the fact that they knew Harden was the reason that, like, Harden was their offense. Yeah, they were going to go five out, right. Now, Joel Embiid is playing. So I wonder, like... With Embiid Mm -hmm. on the floor now, you could argue that Harden isolations aren't even the best offensive option that Philadelphia can go to, and it takes them away from Harden and Embiid pick and rolls. So I'm a little surprised that the the adjustment hasn't already been made, frankly. Yeah. Um, And I would be shocked if in game five, Duncan Robinson didn't play a significant role.
1: I think Spo's made, listen, the guy's a legend, all right? He's top 15, you know, Hall of Fame, whatever. So here I am. He's gonna, coaching we,
3: against a fellow top yeah. 15 coach. So
1: so here I am <laughs> about to say something so stupid, but there's a couple decisions Spoh's made in this series that I question. Duncan is one of them. I think that in both games three and four in Philly, I think he made a mistake with Jimmy's rotation. And I understand you're balancing what position the series is in this guy's individual rotation, how hot he's been, getting him his usual rest, et cetera. But, and he was quicker to put him back in the fourth in game four. But when you have a chance to go up 3-0 or 3-1 and kind of effectively, you're not ending a series, but it makes such a big difference that to me, I, I think he's got to be more aggressive in that scenario. I mean, look what the Bucks did up 3-1, the amount they pushed Giannis in the way they don't normally do. I think you have to be more aggressive as a coach in that situation, and I was surprised he wasn't. And then you talk about the Duncan thing. Now, this is interesting because I think a big thing in this series is the three-point shooting, right? I think Philly was 14-64 to in games one and two. Miami was 14-65 to in games three and four. It's switched completely, and I think the really easy thing to do is to be like, hey, look at Embiid. And I tweeted this like, you know, the Sixers are plus whatever from three. I'm not sure how much of it is Embiid, though. Like, how much is it – this team missing shots. One Sixers fan was like, this is an advanced stat. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like people are, this guy was like, you could talk about advanced stats all you want. I was like, I said one team made more threes than the other dude. Just admit you didn't watch the game. I was like, oh man, like people are getting mad, but, um, shout out to Wes Goldberg who tweeted out this stat. I mean, it's on NBA.com, but the heat took, I think 34 open or wide open threes. Um, according to the NBA's tracking data, um, they're getting a lot different threes though. Like the Sixers with Embiid in the game, they're guarding the pick and roll two on two. They're kind of daring Jimmy to score as much as he is. Um, I don't think that what he's doing is sustainable as great as he's been. But the corner three is gone for Miami. Like they're not they're not pulling in those defenders away from Phillies or Phillies not moving their defenders off Miami shooters. Like no matter what you know, Jimmy's doing in the half court. Um, I actually think it's what Phoenix should do, but they're planted on those shooters and saying, yeah, okay, go ahead, Jimmy. If you can beat Embiid at the rim, we'll live with that. Um, but what they are getting are the handoffs. Embiid's dropping when Bam is doing a handoff, whether it's with Struce, Lowry, etc. That is their bread and butter. That is Bam and Duncan's bread and butter. That, that mm-hmm. play made Duncan Robinson $90 million. Like, I think if... At least see if you can get Philly out of their base coverage by running enough Duncan handoffs that Embiid can't drop anymore. And now now you're maybe getting them to blink. So I'm with you. It's crazy to me that he hasn't played because that that's that's what they do best. So if
3: Duncan does play, like whose whose minutes is he eating beyond Kyle Lowry, just like how would you, I guess that's not I, even the I right think, way to frame no, the question. I
1: think he has to eat into Struis' minutes because I, while I think, I'm listen, I'm not going to sit here and say Duncan's going to put up a strong fight against Harden. I, I think that they've shown at times, even in the 2020 finals e- during this regular season, they've shown at times they can defend with him on the floor. I just don't think you can play him and Hero together. You have to find a way to break them up.
3: Mm-hmm. So... That's
1: almost an argument for Duncan to start, frankly. I, I
3: guess, like, what I'm trying to ask is, like, I did not like Victor Oladipo's minutes in <sighs> Game 4.
1: I don't disagree.
3: And if you go back and watch, a lot of Phillies threes that were open were the result of an Oladipo mistake. And his shots on the other end were not... I know he got to the line, what, 10 times? Made eight free throws?
1: I mean, that that was needed. I don't want to minimize that. That was really needed, especially with Lowry out. But yes, he, he plays, I think, good on-ball defense with Harden, like if he's picking him up. But go ahead. You were making the point.
3: I just don't... 32 minutes from him. If you told me yeah. coming into this series that this guy played 32 minutes in game four I would assume that something went wrong and I guess like Kyle Lowry's mm-hmm. like bum hamstring I guess is qualifying as something wrong. but I just like I would give those minutes to Duncan Robinson or Gabe in, like, Vincent played
1: only nine minutes and I mean he filled in for Lowry many times and did a really good job and was a good three-point shooter as well. I he had some foul trouble, but I think Vincent needs to play more as well.
3: It's it's interesting. Um, It's really like it's clear that Spo has prioritized defense in this series, and I just I wonder how dramatically he's going to kind of tilt away from that mindset Mm -hmm. and that ideology and go back towards like we got to make shots, we got to make life easier for Bam for Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what I'm. Looking out for. It. I still think that Miami should win this series. Frankly, like I'm not too hopped up on. I'm it's back. Right. And, I
1: I do think that that game four. I think Miami's gonna look back at that one be like we if we'd brought in Jimmy earlier if they I mean Harden went six of ten from three and hit a couple tough step backs. I mean you're really looking at that game. I think if Spo I think is looking at that as a shot variance game, but that doesn't change the fact that you lost it. Um. I yeah, I, I, it's a toss-up to me. I really don't know which way I'm leaning. I really don't. Mat-
3: Matisse Thybul hit like a corner three, yeah. like on a short. I mean, they obviously closed short on him, but like I, uh, I, I kind of that that kind of scares me. I know that Spo pointed out that stat after the game about the late shot clock threes, and he's right, and you should. I mean, their their
1: o- their overall shooting in late shot clock was kind of. Out of this world.
3: Yeah. Um, so I, I, hmm. I'm still thinking Miami should feel confident with, especially with two games at home. Mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna keep my eye on Doug and Robinson's minutes. I know yeah. it feels like I'm like over hyping. No, that. but it's I know just... what you
1: mean. It's it's I'm like their best way to get open threes against Joel Embiid is not by collapsing the defense on pick and rolls. It's On dribble handoffs, and that is Duncan and Bam's best play. It's it's an elite action. It is an action that has won a lot of games for the Miami Heat over the last few regular seasons. It's kind of crazy that they haven't gone to it when that's your best way to get open looks against Embiid.
3: What series do you want to? Oh, can um, I throw
1: one more thing out real quick? It's literally Tyrese Maxey so much better than Tyler Hero. Okay, we can continue.
3: Um, I, okay, you're breaking my brain. I love Maxi. I love lot.
1: Maxie. And a uh, low key that he'd have not had an answer for. him when he gets PJ Tucker on a switch, it's, it does not look good. Maxie's blown by him every time. He's, he scored a tough end of half bucket on Jimmy Butler. Um, like you could tell Jimmy was like, okay, like, all right, let me, let me guard this guy, you know? And like, Jimmy had some crazy defensive possessions in that game. Um, on hardened drives especially, but maxi has been good, man. I really like Maxi.
3: Maxi's awesome.
1: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi,
0: checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024
2: presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: Um, Okay, what series do you want to go to next?
1: Let's go to Phoenix, Dallas, because I was there.
3: Your expertise.
1: And that game four, we were talking about this yesterday when we tried to record the podcast, but could not that game 4 was a hostile environment was intense you could sense the animosity between the teams uh in the opening minutes um and i feel like there's been all this focus on phoenix's defense like look at the threes the mavs are getting the mavs have been shooting almost 43s a game since game 1 um and i'm like i'm more worried about the suns offense which posted like back to back games at least a 130 offensive rating and they averaged, I think, under 100 points uh, in games three and four. So, yeah, I just want to go to that one because my, my question is like, what is going on with Phoenix's offense?
3: Do you – okay, my question was in his post-game column,
1: how will Rohan find a way to carry Chris Paul's water? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I think I was pretty critical of Chris Paul in my most recent – you you, sure. you
3: you you were, but I actually screenshot on my phone because I'm going to throw it at you when we have to get into the text wars at some point. But I screenshot a graph that you did write about the fouls that Chris Paul committed and how three of them were not fouls.
1: I just said I didn't say they were not. Fouls. I, gotta, I, gotta I, said, you know I said they, they were, they were I fouls. S- I said they were controversial.
3: The, I will say okay. I will say the sixth one. Probably you don't want to call that in a playoff game. <laughs> um,
1: the, the sixth one, the sixth one I, I just straight up think that was a terrible call. Um, the offensive foul that he had where he stuck his butt out, I thought that should have been a no call. I don't think that should have been an offensive foul. I mean, that's that's not been called an offensive foul the entire season.
3: Well, Disagree. Um that's not something that you're allowed to do anymore because Chris Paul was doing it so often and trying to malip- but, manipulate but we, we, the game. But we've so, seen
1: that we've seen that not get called this entire year. Eh, okay. Well, guys
3: don't do it because it's an offensive foul. They stop and doing I, it.
1: And I I also think that and I said on the Luca one like there was contact but it was also exaggerated. So, that was also a foul, though. And that
3: was a really silly one for him to... That was the one I texted. I don't know. I texted something to you guys. I was like, that was just... I mean, it was a dumb Chris play. Paul it was doing? a
1: bad decision. It was a reckless decision. I agreed. Okay, um, so
3: let's let's get back to Phoenix's offense. Tell me what you like. think is the issue here. And Well, I mean, it's,
1: frankly, it's been Paul. I mean, it's seven turnovers in the first half of Game 3. Uh, he's only able to play 23 minutes in Game 4. They were... They didn't have great offense when he was on the floor, but it was a lot better. I mean, I think they had a 113 offensive rating when he was on the floor. Um, obviously not as good as games one and two, but they finished around 107, which means they were really bad with him um, off the floor. And I asked, I mean, I asked Monty about it after the game. I asked Jay Crowder after about the game. Oh, Mike. So I, I'm trying to ask Devin Booker a question after the game, okay? We're in this tiny press conference room mm-hmm. in in Phoenix and so I'm like Devin like did you you know because he was like I you know I actually like the shots we got and I mentioned I was like you know the offense has dipped do you feel like you know that's you know you guys aren't executing right is it something that they've done that's kind of taken you out offensively and he looks at me he's like he's like who's they and I was like oh shit I was like uh (laughs) I was like uh Dallas but it, he thought I was talking about the refs because there had been so much conversation about the refs in this series that he thought I was trying mm-hmm. to bait him um, into uh, criticizing the refs again because there was a lot of conversation about that. But I think an issue, DeAndre Ayton's not been good since game one. And I don't think that they are doing a good job of trying to like take advantage of Dallas's small lineups. Um, I understand that just because you throw the ball into Aiton or get a seal on Cleaver, like, Dallas isn't going to all of a sudden start switch its coverages. But like this is what we talked about with Aiton. This is what I wrote about, and I thought he was, did a fantastic job of it in game one. But since then, I don't think... They just need more from him in those looks. Um, even if it makes a, a Dallas defender take an extra step away from someone else, I think they need more from him there. And yeah, Paul has to be better. I mean, I, I said that. Like The turnovers have been an issue. The fouls, is, like... That's on him. He said, it. I, you know, he can't put himself in that position. He did. And th- those were reckless decisions. So uh, those are the kind of the, the two things I had my eye on at least early because I think Dallas is now doing a more of a hedge and recover with Luka um, and are able to get away with it. As you mentioned, just because you get the switch you want doesn't mean it's an automatic score.
3: Yeah, Mikhail Bridges has only taken nine threes mm-hmm. in the series. He's only made two threes in the series. Kind of weird. Um, That's not like a humongous barometer for their success, but he should probably be averaging more than 10 points Mm -hmm. per game and probably should not have fewer than half the three-point attempts that uh, Cam Johnson has in the series. Um, I agree with you on Aiton, who, yeah, he's got to be more physical.
1: I mean, there he um, missed like a couple like easy looks at the rim in game four. Like, just yeah, he just he's got to step it up.
3: I think that it's really easy to look at CP and his struggles and kind of just decide that those if CP plays better, their offense will play better. I noticed that Booker said, you know, when you do hit the threes, that. Um, Dallas hit as many as they did. I think they hit 20 in game four, I want to say, and they're shooting like 40% for the series. When they hit threes, obviously they can go back. um, Yeah. Their defense is set up in the half court. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He mentioned that. And
3: and that's, that's not something to scoff at. That is definitely, no, that's
1: big. That's big.
3: And one of the reasons their offense was, is really good. Like they're very good in the half court. Obviously they can play slow. They can out execute you, et cetera. Um, In the playoffs, it's just a little bit harder uh, to do that when you're not getting stops. And I think that the relationship between their great defense and Mm -hmm. their really good offense all year um, is key to their success. So they get stops, they run, um, they played a little bit faster this year than they did last year. So I think that that matters. And, you know, when, if Dallas stops making threes at the rate that they did in those two games, then we could see a bounce back. I also kind of am just like, Chris Paul will not do what he did again,
1: and that will solve a lot of the issues. I don't think there's a systemic problem here. I really um, wanted to ask him about, it didn't, it wasn't uh, the moment. I mean, I, I, we talked about this briefly. I didn't mention on the pod, he had that, his, he had that incident with the Mavs fans and his family during the game. During the press conference he kept looking at his phone like you could almost you could tell something was wrong like it was strange and he kept trying to ask to leave like I've seen Chris Paul like after finals losses answer questions like um it was strange I really wanted to ask him like when he has seven turnovers in a game does he even bother going back to look at them or does he just go like yeah I know that's not going to happen again <laughs> like him having that many turnovers was shocking and and credit to Dallas's dying. defense which was really good during the regular season and and can give teams problems with their length. And I think Bullock's done a great job picking him up full court. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made life hard on him for sure.
3: They have a uh, lot of sloppy turnovers from him though, where yeah. he's getting sped up in ways that he just doesn't normally get sped up. Um, Did you want to talk about the thing that happened with his family for two seconds, or do you think that it's not even, it's, it's, we're past that moment. I
1: think we're past it. I I mean, it's, it's just a weird situation. And and I feel like people are like, what really happened here? And I'm like, I just look at it as like how many hundreds or how many thousands of basketball games has Chris Paul been a part of professionally? Am I really going to believe that like he got upset over something that didn't happen? Like to me, it does. It's, I don't, I don't need, like, much to go off of here. Like, I it, I think it's pretty simple. Like, don't, you know, mess with someone's family.
3: <laughs> don't touch people who don't want to be touched. The <laughs> yeah. end. Yeah. Um. Okay, so my question for this series, uh, my actual question, <laughs> was uh, how do the Suns deal with Luka Doncic post-ups? Um, and why mm. doesn't Dallas just <laughs> you don't, you don't, go you don't, to this?
1: You, you don't think they should stick to the campaign matchup?
3: <laughs> well, I, I'm just like, why? Why doesn't Dallas post up Luka over and over and over again? They do. They did it more and more as the series has progressed. Um, and he's not necessarily scoring out of it, but a lot of the three-point looks that they're getting and they're knocking them down are off of his post-up actions when he does draw help, when he gets CP on him or he gets campaign on him or even Bridges. Bridges Dude, can't... Yeah, Bridges like, has
1: been... The physicality of the series, I think, is getting to Bridges. Um, watching Luca post-up campaign was honestly getting uncomfortable. Like, I was like, I I can't... Like, I was like, I can't watch much more of this. Like, this is
3: it's it's either you don't play him but the thing about the post up with luca like you can get i mean you can there's a lot of different ways you can get someone in the post if you really want to and i get how like you don't want to take him out of uh pick and rolls he's had a lot of success in pick and roll actions of course cuz he's luca very difficult to guard out of out of those situations. He'll isolate on bigs. He Aiton had actually a pretty good block on one. He had a he good of,
1: great possession on Luca where he kind of really chased him around the floor.
3: It was one play though, and yeah, like Luca right. also was like, "Oh, you're dropping. I'm gonna hit a floater." Oh, you're blitzing even though he didn't. They, really do I mean, they've
1: been blowing up the Bridges Aiton pick and roll defensive combo. The Suns. Those are their two guys, and it hasn't done much. I mean, they got the Suns started switching like five minutes into game four, and they don't, they're not a switch team, but they were like, yeah, we got to start switching.
3: So, like, when Jason Kidd hopefully starts Maxi Cleaver um, in game five, which I'm just like, why, why isn't Maxi Cleaver starting? What is going on? Um, when he does start him, I just like, you have five three point shooters on the floor or you're going to have four, I mean, Berton's like in the rotation, just knocking down ridiculous shots now too. And it's like, what do you do when Luca has, is backing you down? Is like on his third dribble and the help isn't coming. And all of a sudden he's eight feet from the hoop. Like, what do you do, and why isn't Dallas doing this on every play? This is my this is my question. I might be just like it might be just me simplistically. He's just gonna turn
1: you into the Joker. You want to know? You you don't understand why. <laughs> Honestly, I'm coming around to the idea that Phoenix should maybe like let Luca try to score 50. Really. Because. I, <laughs> Why? So, correlation is not causation, but Luka had the huge scoring games in games one and two, which were the games the Suns won. And my reasoning is twofold. One, I mean, two is better than three if you're a defense. Um, their shooters have shown that they can go, go off. Um, you know, they cheated off Berton's, and like, they cheated off Finney Smith. They cheated off everyone, and. Those guys lit them up. But those guys are also useless offensively if they're standing in the corner and you have someone just st- stuck to them and say, we're not cheating off. And I think, I mean, I think Philly like had a little bit of success with that against Miami doing something similar. I'd be like, okay, Jimmy Butler, go get 40 points. I mean, obviously Luka's a much more talented offensive player than Jimmy. Like he's probably going to go off for even more. But I think a couple things, like two is better than three. And beyond that, I think Luca gets more tired playing that way. I think that's try, okay. So you, that's I think you, the point. I, that's the post-up thing too, right? Because it's like yeah. those are no. favorable matchups for him, but he's still it's still physical. He's still banging his body, and yeah. I think he gets worn down faster scoring every time than passing every time.
3: No, that's the point I was gonna make about why they actually don't do that because these are human beings who get tired and banging. Yeah, they can't turn fatigue over and over off. again. Yeah. is tough. So that's why I, I like. I get that, but I would like to see more than ten post ups for Luca, given how fruitful they have been um, in the series. And like the thing that it also does and has the potential to do. Um, and this is why Embiid is Embiid and why his post-ups are absurd, is they get you in the bonus quick. Mm-hmm. And so Bridges has like no defensive options except like he's got a foul. like And maybe he, he's a great defensive player. Maybe he adjusts. Maybe he figures something out. Um, maybe they switch the matchup up and put Crowder on him, but then if you do that, then you're just going to put him in picket. So like I – I don't know. I feel like just the post-up could unlock a lot of things for Dallas. I understand how it makes their offense stagnant, but at the end of the day, because of how they're built, I do think that Luka having big games is good for them um, and that you can't necessarily rely on Dorian Finney-Smith to go 8-for-12 behind the three-point line again in this series. Um, So those are my thoughts on that, but this is a fun
1: series. It is. It's been good, man. I mean, dude, we were so close to having four 2-2s, like we'll get obviously get to the last series the basketball gods were so close to blessing us but we have three really mm. good 2-2 series um and i think any team can win any of the three like i think they're still all really really close series um so i'm really excited but yeah man i don't know i'm really coming around to the idea like can you wear luka out I, I, can you what happens if dallas shoots only 33s as opposed to 43s um, But we'll see it's, it's easier for me to just throw it out from the couch When I'm not getting abused by Luca in the post But I mean I think he'd get tired There's no distance
0: too far for the perfect trip Hi, checking in for Or the perfect table Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify With your Amex Platinum card Hey, this looks amazing I'm so glad you made it And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel? It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The
2: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters— I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: Let's move on to that last series, the only 3-1 series in the second round, the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Golden State Warriors. I'm actually going to give the question assignment for now to an emailer, um, Eric, who writes in, Hi, Mike, Rohan, and Chris. Greetings from the city by the bay. As both the regular season and playoffs have progressed, it is becoming more and more clear that Jordan Poole is a better offensive player than Clay Thompson. So at what point do the Warriors acknowledge this and invert the shot (laughs) distribution so that Poole gets 18 to 20 shots and Clay gets 14 to 16 shots? Is this even possible? Agree or disagree that in order for the Warriors to advance... Pool needs to become the second option and Clay becomes the third option. Uh Eric, thank you so much for this question. Uh there's a lot to dissect in this series that we'll get to. Um I don't know if this is the most important question,
1: <laughs> but I, think I appreciate been, it. Do you think Pool's been better than Clay in the playoffs so far?
3: I honestly don't. Mm. I mean, it's tough. It's tough because there's two reasons why I would point to Clay, who his shot selection sometimes really wanes, and it waned in game four last night, where he's just taken some really tough off-balance contested looks inside the three-point line, and they're not going in. But at the same time, when I watch Clay, and I'm, I, I truly think that Steve Kerr or Mike Brown or whoever's been around him that long... As long as those guys have like when the ball leaves his hands, you just think it's going in like every yeah. t- I still think yeah. that every time. Oh, he's so,
1: terrifying. He's terrifying.
3: So there's two things that why I would say I like Clay more still uh, his gravity um, and his defense. He's not the same defender that he was, but that's fine. He's better he than what not,
1: Poole is right now still.
3: Poole is uh, straight up like he compromises the defense. And he's you're, barbecue you're chicken him. alert. He did, did you see <laughs> yes. the
1: Did you see the inside the NBA brief discussion about Shaq versus Rudy Gobert? And I, I, I did
3: not. I did so not.
1: Rudy Rudy said on Instagram that he would lock Shaq's ass up, and Shaq obviously had to respond on the show. And Chuck was kind of instigating him, and Chuck was like Rudy, Rudy, and Shaq. Shaq was just sitting there like smug, like I know I got this. And finally, he's just like. I wonder what French barbecue chicken tastes like. <laughs> just legendary. Absolutely uh, legendary.
3: You love to see it. Yeah. So last night, just talking about the game real quick. <laughs> um, I thought that... The, so we were texting last night after the Celtics game. You guys, I felt like you were trolling me by saying that the Bucks blew that game. Um, I truly
1: was not. I truly was not. I genuinely okay. feel that way.
3: And... I was going to text you. I forget if even I did. I'm delirious at like 2 in the morning when these games end. But like the Grizzlies Grizzlies blew blew that game. game.
1: Yes, of course.
3: The Grizzlies should have won that game.
1: The the Grizzlies, I I thought the Warriors clearly didn't care about that game. Like they can say whatever they They want. They did not have a championship level focus for that game. Let's just say that. But I thought they'd go on their big third quarter run and that would be that. And then it's like, okay, Memphis is still winning. Then I'm like, all right, they'll bring in Stefan Dre early in the fourth and, you know, kind of blow this thing open. And it's like, no, Memphis is still winning. And then dribb- Dylan Books dribbles the ball off his foot. And I'm like, okay, the turn is coming here. And I'm like, you know, it's actually still pretty close here, but Memphis is staying ahead. They should have won that game. They should have won that game. You look at
3: like. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s box score, and you're like, oh, he had kind of a a crappy game. I mean, he was, 0 for 7 from mine, the three-point line, He was sick cetera. in the fourth. I thought like, I was like, oh, this dude is like a matchup nightmare right now. Yeah. Maybe it's because I, I watched in person like every minute of the first round when he was one of the worst players in the entire series straight up. But like... I was like, "This is the Jaron Jackson Jr. who." This is the guy who like, I picked I, for I, most
1: improved. Yeah, man.
3: This is like the guy who can get you a bucket, like yeah. driving a closeout. Who well, he almost
1: has hit that game winner. as post moves.
3: He, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, honestly, like I, I'm not gonna lie, I thought he was fouled on that three. He like was. I, I know they said they said he was. It was like a block. I forget who was calling the game. Was it Iron Eagle? I think. Yeah, maybe. I think so. Yeah. I forget. Said that Draymond Green didn't get the block, and I was like watching. I was like, he didn't he did he block that? And then on the replay, it doesn't look like he got any of the ball. And Taylor yeah, Jenkins I mean, commented but, like,
1: but the Taylor Jenkins has gotta know when to stop, too. It's getting embarrassing <laughs> from them. It's getting really embarrassing. It's getting like stop. You guys have lost all the goodwill. Um, that was another game from Jaron Jackson you mentioned that you look at the box score. Sometimes you look at a box score of an NBA game and it obviously does not tell the story. I'm not breaking news by saying that, but there are certain nights in the playoffs where it just it's a whatever it takes game and I thought Jaron Jackson Jr was playing a whatever it takes game. Like efficiency stops mattering. Like you're just finding a way to win a slugfest and he really almost brought them over the finish line and probably would have if Dylan Brooks didn't go full Dylan.
3: Uh Dylan Brooks had a very interesting night, we shall say. Offensively, um, we should say. Offensively, I mean, I saw some like Dylan Brook. It's like if you've watched the Memphis Grizzlies all season. I know he's only played like thirty nine games because of the high ankle sprain. But if you watch them all season, or you watch them, I don't know, like even last season, or if you watch the first
1: round. Well, remember he like, had the big game in the playing that knocked them out, I believe. Like, didn't he have like twenty four points or something? He had a big. He had the big game one against Utah, like. Anyway, He's go ahead. Just, you make your point. It's like
3: it, the the point is like it doesn't I I saw someone tweet like I don't know how Dylan Brooks is going to come back from this and I'm just like Do you <laughs> yeah. know who Dylan Brooks is? <laughs> like he forgets he could miss 35
1: shots in yes. a row. He doesn't yes. care who's guarding him.
3: He's What like the the shot the, quality is. Don't ultimate, even say those words to that man. The
1: ultimate does not give a fuck player. Just the ultimate does not give a fuck player in the league right now.
3: So he finished 5 for 19, 12 points, uh, 8 assists, which honestly someone texted me after the game letting me know that, and I was like, I can't think of one of those 8 assists, but <laughs> shout out to him. Um, his defense on Steph was was pretty good, not perfect, but, I, I, but no he's also like Steph
1: perfect. He's also, they showed it on the broadcast, but they had that play where Clay got a corner three off an inbounds, and before the pass, Dylan is pointing at the corner, like this is the play, this is the play. He's that guy for them. He's he's not Draymond Green but he is their Draymond. He's the guy that knows the other players tendencies, actions, etc. like you you can't overstate how important he is to their defense. So one
3: of the other things, I know we're we're not really hitting any Questions. official. Did you have an official question for this series cuz I like actually don't really. I just thought it was a really fun, fascinating game and I guess my question is like is the series over and honest, I actually
1: That was, was going to be mine as well to be perfectly honest. Cuz I just thought they blew it. I just thought they blew it, man.
3: I'll say I agree that they blew that game and should have absolutely won. I also think like epic's epic uh flop by Steph Curry on Desmond Bain with like a minute. Dude, they Bain didn't the mention
1: balance. that on the broadcast at all. And I was like, What? And he, I, I I would like Bane hey, Bane.
3: Hey, we we're talking about flops a lot and people people have lost sight of what a flop truly is. Like, if you get if someone hits you with their forearm and extends their arm and you fall over, like sometimes maybe that's a flop. You're also just like trying to, like Desmond Bain maybe had like his fingernails Uh, on the jersey, Steph's jersey going for that rebound. No, no, no. And Steph hit the deck.
1: This is a great point because a flop, like yes, sometimes a player gets actually fouled and they go down when they're not supposed to, but they do that to ensure the proper foul is called. Like what Steph did was take a play that should not have been a foul but flopped so hard that it became a foul. But and like Bain didn't even argue it. And I like I was like, I don't know if his back is in so much pain that he's like, it's not worth it. But I was so like blown this away by is, how nonchalant uh, it, he was about the that insane flop.
3: Bane really I mean, it's 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 interesting to me. Like he must be so exhausted because I mean, what he played 37 minutes, he's guarding. I mean, guarding the Golden State Warriors in the half court yeah. when Steph's on the floor, when Clay's on the floor, when Jordan Poole's on the floor, switching, uh, it's denying. The, it's the
1: amount of emotional labor it takes to guard the Warriors is more than any other team in the NBA.
3: And this guy sprints. He closes out with discipline. He just played a really solid he's defensive so good, game as always.
1: Man, he's so good,
3: I love Desmond Bain, and it's just a shame that um, his back clearly isn't right. You, yeah, you can tell he's up. not
1: right. You can tell he's not right.
3: Um, but, oh, yeah, what I wanted to say uh, about this game, and one of the reasons why I actually think that the series is not over besides the fact that, you know, we have to assume It's going back, ja back to Morant, Memphis, Ja coming back. It's going back. back to Memphis, sure, you get, uh, sure, and I think that they can definitely win Game 5 if Ja plays and Ja looks like Ja. But, like, I, te- I tweeted this right before tip-off, starting Steven Adams – was kind of like I loved it. Smart? Like this guy was a part of your identity. He was a reason for your success the entire season. He finished this game plus 13. Everyone that said that this is what I was talking about earlier about like switching and um hunt being hunted. It's like just let these pros play sometimes and like sometimes as a coach you get inside your own head. You think that uh that Tillman is going to defend better because oh, were, whatever, you Tillman was a little getting, bit more...
1: Tillman was getting cooked.
3: So it's like, Adams finishes plus 13. I know a lot of stuff goes into that. He's just, he's critical on the screens. He's critical off-ball screens. He's critical on ball screens. Defensive communication. He's he's critical on um, the offensive glass, creating second chance What, he had like six
1: offensive rebounds? Like he was... Killing the glass.
3: Uh yes, he had six offensive rebounds, 15 rebounds total. Um, three assists. And it's like what he does for Jaron Jackson Jr. as well cannot be overstated. Um, in terms of Jaron staying out of foul trouble, in terms of Jaron getting to guard fours a little bit more. I know that Otto Porter went off and hit some threes, and part that's partially because Jaren's out there, he's also trying to patrol the paint. But like I just liked starting Steven Adams, and I want to see this team with Ja with Adams like be Mm. itself. I just with everyone kind of in roles that they were in during the regular season. I'm not saying that they can definitely win three in a row. That would be surprising. But if you win two in a row. Which I think they could do. And then you go to a game seven and anything happens. Jordan Poole sprains his ankle. Like, I'm not ruling out a a Grizzlies comeback. I,
1: I hope they get it to seven. I think they'll get it to six. But that was a. I don't know how the teams do it. I've been asking players about it in Phoenix. And, you know, Giannis talked about it after the game. You know, emotions are for movies, not for basketball. But <laughs> I I I honestly think it's it's such an underdiscussed aspect of the playoffs and it's impossible to quantify. But not you know, and Spo said it, I have to look back at the film and see what's real and what's emotional, but the mental focus it takes to bounce back from something like that to ma- manage your emotions is not easy. It's really not easy. And uh, every team has to go through it during the playoffs, but I, I really don't know how they do it. Let's
3: – You can we read one more email? Do you have time in your busy schedule? I'll, I'll, I'll
1: pod for two hours, man. I love talking about the playoffs. I love talking about poops. I I look forward to this every week. Let's ride.
3: Okay. I I, I hope this is the email –
1: um, oh, you're you're you were taking were a, you, you, you're just doing this because you want to guess which one was the one I don't like. That's why you're doing this.
3: It's it's one that I wanted to actually... We're, we might have... Okay, I'm just going to read the email okay, and we can okay. get into it. Okay, so it comes from Darren, who writes, Hello, Michael Rohan and Chris. As a basketball fan without a team in the final eight, I can't help but notice how almost everyone involved be it fans, players, coaches, or those covering the game, seems overly focused on officiating. Mm -hmm. Instead of the eight best teams playing four competitive series that were all 2-1 through three games. Darren obviously submitted this email a little while ago. It is about who is getting calls and who isn't. A classic old-school physical Celtics and Bucks game three is only about Giannis not getting called for charges or the Celtics physical defense I agree. Ime Udoka
1: ruined that series with his public comments.
3: In a single Bucks <laughs> free throw the last 16-plus minutes or the coach of a team with Marcus Smart saying he should teach them to <laughs> flop more. Um, I love it this It isn't just round. the... It isn't just a narrative. Every drive that doesn't result in a basket or foul seems to result in a player waving his hands for a foul, like a wide receiver begging for pass interference. Under Adam Silver, the NBA has always seemed to go with if the league is trending on Twitter, the league is winning no matter what the subject is. But this can't be what the league mm. wants its playoff discussion to be about. What, if anything, can be done? This Is, a is really this the email?
1: Question. No, I like this email. I genuinely okay, like good. this email. It's a good question. I, it's I in like a storyline.
3: I like this email too. I was actually very hopped up to read it yesterday on <laughs> yesterday's show because um, pre-game four of Celtics Bucks because um, I thought that uh, some of the dialogue in... like Okay, so I'll answer this just by saying, and I said this on last week's episode with Chris... Like, I don't get caught up in officiating. I find that it's been, it's a much easier product to enjoy the NBA basketball. Once you realize. Once you stop
1: learning the officials' names, just, it's not worth it.
3: Yes. Once you, like, and I wonder how much gambling has to do with this, but like yeah. assigning records to players based on who yeah. is the official yeah, is man. like one of the most like sad ways to watch Could the not sport. agree more. Could not agree more. Um, so just like accept that all these things cross bad call. Everyone gets bad calls. Everyone gets is benefits from bad calls and it all evens out. The universe is, is, is straight even by the end of the day. That's how I view everything. Mm-hmm. Um, And the way that this email ends with, what if anything can be done, it's like, Milwaukee Bucks general manager, John Horst, um, speaking to the Athletic, he did an interview with the Athletic earlier this week after game uh, three. Yeah. It was after game three. Bucks win. And he does an interview complaining about the officiating, which... I don't know if there is precedent for that. You can check me on that, or our listeners can check me on that. If any I couldn't believe time- the
1: tweet when I saw it. I couldn't believe the tweet when I saw it.
3: I thought I was living in the Twilight Zone. I was like, did the Celtics win? What is going... And I read the I, article. Listen,
1: I, under- I, I... I'm not advocating for it. I understand why the Bucks felt like they needed to respond to Udoka, to be perfectly honest. I'm, that's not a troll... I I felt like they wanted to respond to that. I really do. The GM of the team. I'm the not defending saying it's a good champion, look. I'm not saying it's a good look. It's not. I'm not even saying good or bad.
3: I'm. I'm. It is. It was frankly a little bizarre. It was shocking to see. I don't. I I just have no. I don't know when that's ever happened. And honestly, the so in the teams argue about like calls. They submit film to the league after games. That's like a private thing. Yeah. So for this interview to be public after game three of the second round as the defending champions and a game you won when you're up to one in the series. And
1: and the the most controversial call of the game went in your favor. Like, yes, AS, I'm sure both teams submitted a lot of film, but the thing everyone remembered was from the very end of the game a very controversial call that your team was on the, the good side of.
3: Right. So in the article, I just want to say um, – so Horst cites Drew Holiday not taking any free throws despite attempting 30 shots. And Horst, or someone from the Bucks organization, supplied tracking data to claim that the Celtics attempted 11 free throws on 14 drives in the fourth quarter, while the Bucks had 10 drives that resulted in zero free throws. And I went back and I watched all of the drives, and basketball doesn't work where just because you drive the ball means that you if you drive the ball 10 times you get to go to the free throw line 3 times <laughs> yep. like so for a defense it was just a very ironic statement from a defense that has it it teaches don't how not to foul and under mike budenholzer has always been first or near the league lead in opposing free throw rate because of how they defend and i believe they're number 1 in the post season right now an opposing free throw rate. Cause that's how they are. So for you to just be like, drew took 30 shots and he didn't get to the free throw line. And what's up with that? And it's like, if you watch all Drew's shots, just tell me which one you would yeah. like for yeah. him to be fouled on. I, there are no fouls. So I, I thought that that was weird though. I'll, I just want to say one last thing about this. Um, also in that article, uh, I'm just going to read the quote, uh, From John Horst. The Grant Williams play on Grayson. It's just uncalled for. Anyone who watched that play knows it was dangerous. Grayson was sore last night. He was sore again this morning. (laughs) I think he'll play in game four, but it was a dangerous play. It was a non-basketball play and it's uncalled for. So to set the scene, it is the second quarter. The play begins with Grayson Allen this and Jason is Tatum so funny. Oh, and Jason Tatum going after a loose ball in the backcourt. Grayson Allen pushes Jason Tatum in the back. Jason Tatum falls to the ground. Then Drew Holiday hits a three on the other end in the chaos. I When Drew Holiday's three falls through the net, Grant Williams goes over and in a box out. Kind of hip checks Grayson Allen. Like I'll say it was a physical play. Absolutely. For sure.
1: To I think he cite... should be suspended the rest of the series. But <laughs> to... sure. Kicked out of the league.
3: Yeah. To cite uh this play, uh two seconds after the player that you're saying was a victim pushed another player to the ground going for a loose ball and there was no foul called. And if you watch the broadcast, that's what Brian Anderson says. He's like. No foul called. We yeah, take yeah, him yeah. to the deck. Yeah. So it's just like I, I, I don't know. I just think all of it's, it's, it's really. Um, Listen, the it league was just really interesting. We, we team.
1: needed. We were going to talk about this before my technical difficulties yesterday, but the vibes over the weekend were teetering a bit. Like it was not fun hearing about all this. He's a dirty player. He broke the code. The officiating. The league needs to get a lid on this, man. It's. There's great basketball going on. That should be the focus. And I don't think the conversation has been overtaken or anything like that. But no one wants to talk about this. And I do feel no one, every fan in their life has experienced at some point, like, oh, every call is not going on our way. And that sucks. Like, you don't want people feeling that way during a playoff game. But it just feels like the league needs to find a way to get a handle on this. Whether it's like, hey, if you're calling someone dirt, we want, we want opponents and players, we want people to be candid at the same time, like, the public posturing is just getting absurd. Like, whether it's Taylor Jenkins. And, and frankly, I understand where the Grizzlies are coming from because the, the Warriors kind of kicked this off with Dylan broke the code. Like, we thought that was a reckless play. We thought he should be suspended. But we didn't come out and say on our podcast, like, look, you know, Dylan Brooks attempted to harm. And, you know, it just is enough already. Enough. I'm, I'm sick of it, to be honest. <laughs>
3: I mean, this isn't new. We, it, like, it's
1: not, but it feels like it's just gotten so ridiculous.
3: I, it it is. I agree that it's like ridiculous. I.
1: I remember Frank Vogel coming into a series against the Pacers and Heat once and being like, "Yeah, they're a bunch of floppers." I that's cool. I like that. Like, okay, that's him trying to set an <laughs> agenda. That's him trying to, you know, work the refs a little bit. Like. There's elements of working the refs, but like now doing it where it's like, you know, there's a prudering every frame of a, you know, it just, you know, the Rockets did that thing with the memo to the league a few years ago, but at least that was in private. Like, it's just getting embarrassing. Well,
3: it was, it
1: was, it wasn't wasn't fully private, it was also leaked by, I wonder who. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah.
1: So yeah, I, I just it was leaked by Cheryl Morey. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just uh Cheryl Morey won at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. I I think that it's
3: just a bummer to me that sometimes the officiating um and these guys are playing physical for sure. Um it's just a bummer when the officiating is the number one thing that is on everyone's mind and everyone wants to talk about it. And I'll just real quickly say, like, I was at a wedding on Saturday um, and there were some Celtics fans there. There were some Bucks fans there. The game was going on, and I was. uh, uh, Apologies. I hope that the bride and groom never listen to this episode. But I was watching the game on my phone during the ceremony, and there were people over my shoulder. And once the (laughs) ceremony ended,
1: ceremony,
3: (laughs) ceremony ended.
1: Come on, dude! Not even the reception, The ceremony.
3: So after it was over, what? What row were you in? I I know I'm not like being rude about it. Like I'm I'm extremely discreet. Extremely discreet. Um anywho, we're not going to get bogged down in the details. But people were coming up to me afterwards and were like, "Oh, like the officiating was the number one thing everyone wanted to talk about." And I'm like, "I I'm sorry. I it, I the Celtics missed these two threes at the end. We should talk about that. Like yeah. that's what happened here." Um so it's just it's frustrating when you're in the wild and you're talking to people yeah. and they're like, all they want to talk about is referees and calls and whistles, and yeah. I'm like, that's it's not Sad. how basketball should be enjoyed. So yeah. that was just my point there. And the basketball is fun otherwise, and these playoffs are actually really awesome. So, Rohan, is that going to do it for today's show?
1: I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. Wow. We. I feel like hopefully we, we made it. up. We made up for the absence again. Apologies for the one day delay here, but. Two really exciting Game 5s tonight, so I'm looking forward to it.
3: Thank you so much, Rohan, for your expertise and your insight. Thank you so much to our uh, Open Floor Globe listeners. Um, Emailers Ellie and David, also we were meant to get to... And I, uh, your think, email's on I show. think
1: one of yours I hated, so but I can't. Okay, remember, well, so well we'll never know.
3: We're going we're going to read those in a future episode, so stay tuned. Thank you so much for writing in. Everyone else, please keep the questions coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everybody stay safe. Everybody continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs. Hey. 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 Hey.
0: until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum
2: 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, guys.
3: Back to the playground again, huh?
0: Yep.